You're listening to Real Presence Live. Now, back to more inspirational and uplifting stories and a look at the extraordinary things happening in our local area. Heard right here on the RPR Network. Good morning and welcome back. I am Heather Caro. I'm your host today for Real Presence Live. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for letting me into your homes, workplaces, cars. It's a joy to be with you this morning. We've had great discussions already this morning on a little bit of church history, um, and we're going to keep moving in that direction. Uh, we're talking with John Bergsma this morning. Good morning, John. How are you? Good morning, Heather. I'm doing great. Thanks. I'm a little starstruck. Uh, my mom runs the Catholic bookstore, and I see a ton of your books around the store, so I am just so excited. Bible Basics for Catholic is by far my favorite <laughs> that uh, you have written. You have so many wonderful ones, but I'm so thrilled to have you on today. Tell the listeners a little bit about who you are for that uh, that don't know you. Sure. So I'm a uh, former Protestant pastor, grew up in a family of Protestant pastors, um, Came into the church in 2001 while getting a doctorate in Scripture from the University of Notre Dame, and I've been teaching at Franciscan University of Steubenville since 2004, going almost 20 years now. Uh, have eight children, happily married. Uh, half my kids are themselves married off. Just had my first grandbaby uh, three weeks ago. Congratulations. So that stage of life. Yep, absolutely. Beautiful. So today we're going to be talking about the Deuter... <laughs> Deuter... <laughs> I told you! <laughs> Deuterocanonical. Thank you. Deuterocanonical books. Uh, so first, what does that even mean? Yes. So this is a, a less-than-perfect term that's okay. used to identify uh, the seven books that Jews and Protestants do not accept in their Bible, but are in Catholic Bibles, and it, uh, it's a little bit unfortunate because it, the Deuterocanonical means second canon, um, and it makes it sound like these books are second-class citizens in the Bible, but they're not. They are fully inspired, fully canonical, um, you know, just as good as any other biblical book, so to speak, um, but uh, we, we needed some kind of term to refer to these seven disputed books, um, and uh, and that's what we were given. And, and those books are, by the way, Tobit, Judith, First and Second Maccabees, Sirach, A Wisdom of Solomon, and Baruch. Okay. So why why do the Protestants or you know why did they decide to throw those books out? Yes. Well, because one of the books. Second Maccabees um, says it's a good thing to pray for the dead, and prayers for the dead implies that there's a place like purgatory mm. where your prayers can benefit the dead. Now, during the Protestant Reformation, some of the Reformers took issue with the doctrine of purgatory, hmm. and when the uh, Catholic uh, apologists pointed out that, you know, Scripture uh, implied such a place by commanding prayers for the dead, Luther's response was to kick out Second Maccabees, um, but he couldn't just, you know, ad hoc kick out one book for no reason, and so he adopted the principle that uh, we should only accept those books that were accepted by the Jews. So he threw out all the books that were not accepted by the Jews, and that's how you got the uh, Protestant canon of Scripture. Wow, Okay. 
So, who was who was this that decided this? Did you say? <laughs> so, this, this was uh, Luther. Luther and his followers. Okay, Luther. And uh, yeah, and he was followed followed in this uh, by John Calvin, the founder of right. Calvinism. And so, so the Protestants, you know, developed a consensus that hey, um, you know, since since prayers for the dead and, and purgatory is supported by one of these uh one of these so-called deuterocanonical books um we're going to get rid of it by you know adopting the principle that only books accepted by the jews in their bible should be in our old testament and the problem with that heather is it overlooks that the fact that these books had been accepted and used and prayed and um you know recognized as inspired for uh, for over a thousand years, you know, by saints, mm-hmm. you know, they're discussed by St. Bonaventure and St. Thomas Aquinas and St. Augustine, who was so revered by Luther and Calvin. St. Augustine lists them as biblical books. Uh, they're, they're listed in early church councils. They're quoted by uh, dozens of fathers. And um, so, but all of that, you know, gets, gets tossed out because there's this piff over uh, purgatory and uh, second Maccabees. Hmm. Well, it makes you wonder why they kept the book of John. <laughs> <laughs> That's a whole other discussion. <laughs> right. <laughs> anyway, so I think that's very interesting. Um, that So then, okay, so then I'm going to try and ask the questions that I hear. I work at the store a lot, so I'm going to try and ask the questions that I hear a lot of uh, the people that come into the store. Um, So who put the Bible together? How did they decide what belonged in the Bible? How did they decide what didn't belong in the Bible? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, Well, it starts with Jesus, and Jesus taught the apostles by his example uh, what books to quote as inspired by God. Mm-hmm. And that was passed down um, by oral tradition uh, until the late 300s when the faith was finally legalized. And then it was possible to hold church councils and, and get together and clean up some, you know, uh, areas of church doctrine that were maybe a little unclear. And one of the things that they had to clean up a little bit was the list of inspired books because there had, you know, some confusion and some legends had grown about different things, and so they, uh, they gathered together, and um, based on a consensus of, of the bishops, of uh, what they had traditionally received from their forefathers and from the bishops before them, etc., uh, going back to the apostles as inspired, that's what they wrote down. And so we hmm. get um, church councils in the late 300s and the early 400s, around the time when the faith was legalized, that put down in writing what have been passed down by word of mouth concerning um, which books uh, were inspired by God. And uh, that's quite literally how the Bible was put together, by really by the bishops uh, of the Catholic Church around the time of St. Augustine. And um, that, that's when these things are kind of like cleaned up and, 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 and finalized. Um, and, uh, and it's remained uh, unchanged since, it's kind of passed down and through the medieval saints, you see these same books listed and quoted and and um, and interpreted all the way up until um, the time of the Reformation, and then you get a serious challenge to to some of the inspired books. 
Yeah, which really wasn't that long ago when you're considering no. the entirety of church history. No. Um, <laughs> it's quite young. So um, I find it very interesting. Um, and you having a Protestant background, do they talk about these um, extra books that the Catholics have? Do they talk about that um, when you were a pastor or training to be a pastor or anything like that? Do they talk about that? What do they say? Absolutely. Uh, we talked about it, and what we said was that, oh, um, the Catholics added books into the oh. Bible to support their unbiblical doctrine, oh. and this was done at the Council of Trent. And so the way I was taught, I got the impression that, oh, suddenly the Council of Trent, after the Reformation had broken up, you know, found some extra books somewhere, tossed <laughs> them into the Bible to give support for purgatory. Uh, that's really crazy, because only one book gives support for purgatory, that's Second Maxis. All the rest of the books, it doesn't matter at all. And then, besides that, what they forget is uh, the Council of Florence in 1441 was actually the first ecumenical council to list all these books officially. And that was 70 years before the Reformation broke out. So Trent was just following tradition. They weren't doing anything new. Right, right. And a lot of, uh, and like Aaron and I were talking about earlier, a lot of the church is, you know, church history. And I want to dive into more of that um, because, you know, when Jesus left, there wasn't a Bible. You know, people didn't walk around carrying the Bible, you know. And so right. you get sola scriptura and, you know, you have discussions about that. Um, but kind, it's very fascinating to me to hear the progression of the Bible and what we know as it of it today. Um, but we have to take a break, John. I'm with, speaking with John okay. Bergsma. He's going to stay with us through the break, and we're going to talk more about the Catholic Bible, what makes it different, what makes it what it is today, um, and why it is a Catholic Bible and not a Protestant Bible. Uh, folks, stay with us. More Real Presence Live right after this. This is Real Presence Live, where the focus is not on the evil around us, but on conversion and mercy through the good news that is always good. We're local, engaging, and live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Daily Meditations of Pope Benedict XVI, presented by Leonardo De Filippis of St. Luke Productions. The Yes of Believing. Ascent is produced by the will, not by the understanding's own direct insight. Believing is not an act of the understanding alone, not simply an act of the will, not just an act of feeling, but an act in which all the spiritual powers of man are at work together. Still more, man in his own self and of himself cannot bring about this believing at all. It has of its nature the character of a dialogue. It is only because the depth of the soul, the heart, has been touched by God's word that the whole structure of spiritual powers is set in motion and unites in the yes of believing. It is through all this that we also begin to see the particular kind of truth with which believing is concerned. Theology talks about saving truth. Everything a man does or allows to happen to him can, ultimately, be derived from his will to be happy. 
When the heart comes into contact with God's logos, with the Word who became man, this inmost point of his existence is being touched. Then he does not merely feel, he knows from within himself, that is it. That is he. That is what I was waiting for. It is a kind of recognition, for we have been created in relation to God. This meditation is taken from Benedictus, published by Ignatius Press and Magnificat, and produced by St. Luke Productions. Learn more at stlukeproductions.com. This is Real Presence Live on the RPR Network, bringing you stories of faith and hope through local hosts and guests from across the Upper Midwest. Now, back to the show. Good morning and welcome back. I am Heather Carroll. I am your host this morning for Real Presence Live. I'm broadcasting from Sioux Falls, South Dakota, having a great conversation with John Bergsma this morning. He is an author and a professor out at uh, Steubenville. So we always love to get Stubies on the line. John, thank you for joining me. <laughs> so we're talking about the differences between Protestant and Catholic Bibles, which I think is always an interesting conversation. And those books are called what, John? Deuterocanonical. Deuterocanonical. So uh, where did that word come from, and why did they get that title? Yeah, that's a good question. It's, again, an unfortunate term. It was actually invented in the, in, uh, in the middle of the Reformation period by a um, Jewish convert to Catholicism who became a priest, and then later left the priesthood and went back to Catholicism. I'm sorry, to Judaism, excuse me. So he, he apostatized. But while he was a Catholic priest, he gave us the term deuterocanonical, huh. um, which means second canon, or, or like second-class canon. And that's why it's unfortunate, because oh. it suggests to people that these books are second-class. And they're not second-class. They're fully inspired like other biblical books. It's just that Protestants and Jews don't receive them uh, into their... Uh, Bibles, so it'd be better to call them something like the disputed Old Testament books or something like that. Right, right. Um, but, uh, you know, we're left with the term. <laughs> yeah, strange. Well, and you had said earlier that um, the reason that these books were excluded out of uh, the Protestant Bible was because they weren't a part of the Jewish Bible. Is that what you call it, a Jewish Bible? Yeah, that would be the most accurate way to refer to it. You, you can't call it a Jewish Old Testament because they don't recognize yeah. the Old and New Testament. Okay. It's just the Jewish Bible. So the Jewish Bible is uh, the same as the Protestant Old Testament. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, so then that begs the question... Um, because a lot of these books were brought in because of tradition and from word of mouth, which was, you know, the history of the of the faith was word of mouth for a lot Absolutely. of its life. Um, so how do you decide as a Protestant what you're going to believe in is tradition and what you're going to believe in? A lot of them are sola scriptura. Um, right. And so a lot of the things that they do aren't written down in the Bible, right? right? So I, I'm struggling to figure out how they handle tradition right well they handle tradition in a very inconsistent way okay um <laughs> so certain certain things like the apostles creed and the council of nicaea the council of chalcedon um 
where important definitions are made about the Trinity or about the, the nature and person of Christ, most Protestants will accept that, but the decisions of other councils, they'll reject. Hmm. And um, many of the teachings of the Fathers, they'll accept, but then other teachings of the Fathers, they'll reject. So I grew up, Heather, as a Calvinist. Um, that would be like uh, similar to Presby- you know, Presbyterianism. Mm-hmm. It's part of the Calvinist tradition, if the folks know what a Presbyterian is. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we're followers of John Calvin. John Calvin idolized uh, St. Augustine and uh, quotes from St. Augustine all the time. I was oh. shocked, though, Heather, when I found that St. Augustine lists all of these uh, deuterocanonical books as part of the Bible and uh, quotes them as sacred scripture. And I immediately thought to myself, hey, if we think Augustine is so great, how, do, how can we reject what uh, what he says about the Bible, and that shows you kind of the inconsistency in a lot of Protestant traditions. So do a lot of them just not talk about it? Is it one of those situations? Exactly. You have just nailed mm. it on the head. It's just you don't talk about the things you don't talk about. You know, you don't talk about it, you don't think about it, and so this is never brought up. You know, another thing that was never brought up when I was growing up, Heather, was where does the Bible teach Sola Scriptura? Right? And I, was, I know. Yeah. I was 30 <laughs> years old when a Catholic first challenged me on that. And I thought, well, okay, Second Timothy 3.16 is the famous verse. It says all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness. It says all, all the Scripture is useful, but it doesn't say that Scripture is all you need. Yes. And, uh, and there's no other verse that even comes close to saying that all you need is the Bible. Because, of course, that wouldn't have made sense, because as you mentioned, Heather, before the break, you know, when Jesus was walking around, and then after his ascension, there wasn't a Bible. You couldn't no. go to the local Christian bookstore and get a Bible. You know, at, <laughs> Saint at Paul wasn't walking around with a Bible. <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, you, you had some of the books of the Bible at a local synagogue. You could probably get the books of Moses and some of the prophets at a synagogue and read them. Couldn't buy them. Couldn't take them away. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and then the Gospels gradually got written, and the Epistles of Paul got written and recopied. You know. But it really wasn't until the late 300s, Heather, when the Roman government actually put up money to have a complete Bible in every cathedral. Um, that's part of what prompted those councils to write down the list of, of what belonged in the Bible, because they were going to get seriously into producing some complete Bibles. And, and that's the first that we get all the books of the Bible bound together. That's uh, the late 300s. Um, when, um, you know, it was the official religion of the Roman Empire, and the, you had government money to imagine that, have every cathedral mm-hmm. have a complete Bible. Wow. That's yeah. so, yeah. so uh, amazing. You know, that was such a... Handwritten. Forward. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, handwritten. Yeah. Wow, our cathedral has an entire Bible, you know? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. You know, and, and now every one of us has, like, seven or eight at home with different translations. You know? Yeah. One sitting around that we're not using, and then our favorite copy. And, you know. <laughs> well, and I always think about it as, um, you know, this is going to be like way off the left left side, left field. That That's what I do, John. I go off left field. So I always think okay. about the Bible as, um, like, say you have a job, and you work at this job for 10 years. I'm using myself as an example. And the things that I do every day for my job, um, I know how to do them, and I do them well, and I am thoroughly invested in them and know them. Well, then I get an assistant that comes along, and guess what I do? I teach him everything that I know. 
I teach him all the things and he learns with me and he walks with me and he, and he gets to know as much as I do. Right. And so then someday he can take over my job. Well, then I get a boss that comes along and says, no, 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 no. You need to write all that down. (laughs) And you look at him like, you're kidding me. Really? I've been doing this for 10 years and you want me to write it down? (laughs) (laughs) But this is just the way it is. And that's what I kind of think of the Bible, you know, like these people walked around with these stories and they were just wonderful stories and they were always the same. You did your work mm-hmm. the same. And the mm-hmm. Bible is like, okay, the boss, all right, let's 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 write it down. And that was, you yeah. know, uh, the Pope saying, well, yeah, she, she, she does it this way, but she should do it this way. <laughs> <laughs> That's really not the story. <laughs> but you have to have those checks and balances in place. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so it, it did happen, like you said, you know, from... From one priest to another, from one bishop to another, to the first centuries, they taught each each generation, you know, which books were inspired and how to preach in the Bible. And then Pope Damasus, around 382, he said, hey, you guys, you got to write it all down. <laughs> so yeah. They wrote down the list and <laughs> checked it twice. And that's what we've had since then. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, council of Rome, 382, under Pope Damas is the first, the first council with the Pope at it who uh, who gave us the list of all the inspired books that belong in Scripture. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. So after becoming Catholic, um, what kind of discussions do you have with some of your old mates? Yeah. Have- that was interesting. Um, well, you know, it was about 20 years ago now that I came into the Church, um, so things have simmered down, but uh, we had quite a lot of discussions. Um, you know, I'm trying to think. Probably, probably the Blessed Mother is oh. was one of the most contentious issues. Um, hmm. Protestants react really badly to the affection that we showed to her because they think it's worship. Hmm. And I say, you know, that's because you guys have never seen Eucharistic adoration. Right? <laughs> You've never seen anybody go prostrate. You know. Yeah. They think that if we um, bow bow our head at the name of Mary, that like we're you know all into worshiping her as a deity. I'm like, you've never seen us in front of the Blessed Sacrament. No. Amen. Uh, yes. So uh, so yeah, because there's so little that's done in terms of posture in uh, Protestant worship. Mm. Um, and another thing is, you know, back in Europe, they were used to like kneeling before kings and queens. So if you kneel before your king or queen, why, why surely you would before Jesus and the Blessed Mother, you know? Right. And um, you're just showing them respect due to royalty, much less divinity. Yeah. Right. So, they, yeah, there's a lot of misunderstandings. They, they look at our devotions and our practices. They don't, they don't, uh, they don't get it. Um, and uh, so, but, you and know, you a think, lot of it's misunderstanding. Well, and do you think a lot of them just don't want to go down that road? I, I, well, I always wonder if they're afraid. Yeah. Yeah, it's frightening. It's like changing mm-hmm. your identity. I mean, it it's, uh, makes you a whole different class of person. You know, if you become mm-hmm. a Catholic, you become a minority. You know? <laughs> 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 You're a wasp. You used to call them wasp. You know, white Anglo-Saxon Protestant. That's what I grew up as, and then I, <laughs> you know, I become a minority. You know, and yeah, it changes your social status. Yeah. Well, and did you pretty... say your dad was also a pastor? 
he was a pastor, my two uncles are pastors, me and my brothers all went to the seminary, two of us became pastors, two discerned out, but, um... Have yeah, any of them else, are. has anybody else converted? Yeah, my, my closest brother, uh... Wow. My third brother has come into the church as, in, a number of years ago, just a year after I did, and has raised his whole family as, as all his six kids as Catholics, and they, two of them married in the church, and raising the next generation already. Um, beautiful. So, uh, it is beautiful. Yeah, absolutely beautiful. Well, John, thank you so much for joining me this morning and answering all my strange questions. <laughs> <laughs> fine. <laughs> a lot of is, fun. Is there a uh, new you, book you have, that you're you working on? People want to talk about. Yeah, um, I just finished a book on marriage. Uh, I did Love Basics. I don't know if you've gotten Love Basics in your store yet. Um, but that's the latest in my basic series. That's, that traces marriage to the Bible. And uh, now I'm working on a commentary on Deuteronomy. So, sorry, something needs to do. Awesome. John Bergsma, thank you so much for joining us this morning. God bless. Thank you, Heather. Okay, bye bye. All right, folks, more Real Presence Live right after this break. We'll be right back. <laughs> 